here uh, this morning to talk about what God has for us in the future. And as Claire mentioned in our announcements, and we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, we've really been on a journey for quite some time, R- really months and months of uh, spending time in prayer, uh, in, in hard work. Uh, we dreamed about what it would look like for us to more clearly describe understand who we are and describe where we're headed. And there were a whole bunch of things that went up on the board, a whole bunch of ideas that were talked about. And in the, in the end of all of that, none of which were anybody's, it was just kind of like, well, maybe God is saying this, maybe this is, we should think about that. It was, it, there's just been this orchestration of these things. And in the book that we have been reading on discerning the will of God together, that's been really instructive for us along the way too, to talk about what is discernment. We actually believe that there are things that God says, and we want to hear them. And, and we are convinced that God has said something about our future as a church. And we get to walk into that and begin that journey uh, as, we, as we move forward this morning. That God has actually said something to us, and it is his gift to us. Now we want to go forward with it. Part of that orchestration of all sorts of events and, 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 and uh, scripture passages and circumstances. Something just happened this past week when a bunch of pastors from our uh, local area, coming to pastors from our local area, got together and one of the presenters had spent some time at Second City in Chicago where they do things with improv. And the whole improv thing is a fascinating, a fascinating discipline and there are rules for improv one of which is particularly relevant for us this morning. So there's a TED Talk given by a gentleman who has written on improv, part of Second City, and he talks about the rule of improv that is this, being able to say yes. I'm going to let him describe it for us as we're going to just see this clip from a TED Talk, and I'm going to ask us to involve ourselves in it, okay? He's going to call the audience to say yes, so let's just practice that together. Yes. Good. And he's going to call us to say no, so let's just practice together. No. Good. You'll get to practice it one more time, and here we go. It's probably the most agreed upon rule of all of improvisation, across all schools of thought, is to say yes. So we're going to do a fun little demonstration, because that's way more fun than me talking about it. Uh, what I need you all to do is just say yes for me on the count of three. Can you do that? One, two, three. Yes! Oh, that was good. With feeling. One, two, three. Yes! Good. Uh, so now... Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just say yes to those questions, and we'll see what happens, okay? Let's just, let's just go with me here. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Do you want to tell a story with me? Yes! Is this story about a knight? Yes! Is this knight wearing shining armor? Yes! Is he going to save a damsel? Yes! Is she being held by a dragon? Yes! Is the dragon breathing fire? Yes! Does he save her with courage and bravery? Yes! And do they live happily ever after? Yes! Oh, isn't that great? Nice work. Nice work. That was really good. We did that. We just did that. All right, now let's do it again, and this time I want you to say no. Everybody, just say no to what I'm about to say. You ready? Yeah, good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to tell a story with me? No. I'll just go. All right. I'll get on. Uh, now that incredibly elaborate demonstration we just did (laughs) proves one very simple point about improvisation, is that a series of yeses will take us somewhere. A series of noes doesn't even get started. Doesn't go anywhere. We all just sit there going, no, 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 no. And the saddest part is that you can have a 10,000 yeses in a row, and it just takes one no to stop it all and ruin it. 
So say yes. Uh, now the next step is sort of uh, in conjunction with this one, and that is to say and. Right? Yes men are great. We've probably all met them, and they make you feel really good about what you're doing. Right? <laughs> all of you let me tell a story by saying yes. Thank you for that. Uh, but and men are the people we really want to work with. <laughs> the people that say yes to our idea and give us something else. Right? And then what happens is you bring a brick, and I bring a brick, and then someone else brings a brick, and we just pile them on top of each other until we've built something that none of us could have built on our own. that God has given us a discernment in regards to a vision for our future and that we want to say yes to it, don't we? Yes. And then we want to add our and, where we get to actually join in and bring our brick and we see something and we get to build something together that is far more remarkable than anything any particular yes could have been or any particular brick that could have come along. And so this morning, we want to know what God has to say to us and say yes to it. And this evening, we want to add an and, an and, and an and, and build something up. So that's where we're headed uh, in, in this whole process. I want to talk to you about what it is that God has said uh, yes to us. So do you want to tell a story with us? Yes. That's right. This is, should we start with a, ch a church that's over 50 years old? Should we start with a church that's over 50 years old and still has an imagination? Yes. That's where we want to start. We want to start with a church that is that old and has the power and the strength of those years and the imagination to move forward. We've done this before. Even during my time here at church at Hillcrest, back in 2003, we worked together and we prayed and we we spent months and months working through a vision process, and we actually marked out five years. And one of the things that was most remarkable about that is after every point, after year one, we looked at, well, what did we think we might do? What did we hope to accomplish? And as a church, you, us, those that were involved in it, we nailed it. We got to year two, we nailed it. We got to year three, we nailed it. We got to year five. We nailed it. The things that we felt like God was calling us into, we actually worked together as a team. And there was this remarkable and exhilarating run of those five years where we saw God do something remarkable. It was a season of yes and with teams of people along the way. We want to do that over the next five years, ten years, whatever it might be. That's what we're looking at. What is God going to do in our congregation over the next five years at least. It started for us with prayer, and it started with us trying to discern, determine what has God made us to be? What is our identity as a congregation? That was here way before I came along, that was here way before many of you came along, that was here when some of you started this place uh, many, many years ago. What is that identity about? And we can tell what it is. It's the things that we celebrate. It's the things that cause us to just burst out in applause because they resonate with our heart, the way God has made us to be. It's the things over which we sacrifice. It's the stuff that we defend. And then, you know, that's the identity of that place. Look at what they celebrate. Look what they sacrifice for. Look what they defend. And we find out what their identity is. And so we've looked at that and said, we do not want to stray from those things because that's the way God made us. 
And when we first began, there was a statement of mission. And many of you know it. You've probably heard it before. Very simple words. To know Christ and to make him known. That's it. When this group, when this church was started, the people that started said, it's going to be really simple. This is our purpose. This is our mission. To know Christ and to make him known. And I will say early on in this process, we actually thought about maybe changing that up a little bit and giving it new language. And, and the decision of the leadership team and others around would say, you know what? Don't touch it. <laughs> we actually like it. And, 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 and we think it's so deeply embedded in who we are, we're going to keep that. That is our mission statement as a church. We want to know Christ, not just simply cerebrally up here, but to, to know Christ in walking in relationship with him and to make him known. Because there's good news and there's good news that ought to be shared. So when we talk about a vision for the future, we were not going to stray very far from that language. To know Christ and to make him known. A vision takes a mission statement a step forward. It reflects our core identity and it helps us to know if we actually are accomplishing it or not. We, help, we want to know, are we actually accomplishing this? What does it look like in real life? And so after a long period of time, we distilled that down to language that looks like what you see on the screen. As simple as we could make it. This is the vision for us. To live devoted to God and to one another with the purpose of reconciling all things to God. That's it. We want to live devoted to God and we want to live devoted to each other with one purpose in mind, that all things will be reconciled to God. And the language that we, that we really wrestled with, that we really felt like God brought us back to over and over again, is the language from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 20. And you can get this. In fact, our very first vision statement said, because Christ's love compels us, and we were told to be more brief than that, but we, we, we see it in what is said here. Listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. How will we do that? By living devoted to God and to one another with the purpose of reconciling all things to God. That's the, the big defining language for it. But we want to say, okay, now what does that look like as we live it out? And a word that came back again and again was the word imagine or reimagine. You know, someone has said that one of the most powerful words in the English language is the word imagine. There's invitation in it, isn't there really? Imagine what? Imagine if. And for a church that's over 50 years old, 
we, we're going to reimagine. We're going to go back to that time where we aspire to be, to do, to live in ways that allow us to live devoted to God and to one another in order that all things would be reconciled to Him. What does it mean for us to reimagine and for us to look forward with it? Now, there's a caution in regards to this. Two, actually. And the first is this. You can take a great word and, and paste it to what you're doing and not change anything, right? We just found this really cool word, and so we're going to use it. We don't want to do that. We actually want that word to change what we do so that the things that we're engaged in actually become something that's brand new, that helps us to see differently, to, 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 to act differently, to live differently, that we don't paste a great word to what we're doing. We actually want it to impact what we're doing. For us to reimagine aspects of what God has called us to as his people. The other part of this is, particularly when we say yes and, is that we can come up with so many ands, we will just be bogged down with more stuff to do, right? I mean, that's the danger here, right? Let's be creative, let's generate ideas, and we've got a million more than the million we already have. Our objective in the midst of this is actually at the end of it to be doing less. We want to do less. We want to have fewer things to distract us and just a few things to guide us. So the work we're going to do as we work through this whole process and generate the ands, yes and, yes ands, is at the end of it to be able to say, okay, now how does this get us to simple? The simple on the other side of complexity where we're actually doing less. And so what does it mean? It means we do the same thing that we did in the process when we began, started. We pray a prayer of quiet trust. And then we, then we pray a prayer of, of, will, of indifference. Of, of God, I'm not going to hold anything close. Whatever you want, Lord. I want to be indifferent to my own bias or thoughts or previous thinking. I'm going to just open my hands. And as a congregation, God, we're going to open our hands to it. Tell us what that is. And give us the wisdom to do those things as we go along. So we don't want to simply have a new word slogan. We want it actually to impact what we do. And we want to make sure that the focus of our efforts leads us to simplicity. That we're actually going to do those things. Now one of the things you'll see in this vision statement actually are embedded three words that we've talked about here. For those who were part of the bold adventure of Blue Valley, you've heard these words before. And we've talked about them here at Prairie Village too. We talk about a life that's focused upward and inward and outward. Up, in, and out. And so you can actually see it in the language. To live devoted to God is for us to be focused upward. And devoted to one another is for us to be focused inward with each other. That all things would be reconciled to God is, is outward. So up, in, and out really is forming the construct of what it is that we do, how we move forward. So let's talk about those things. The first piece of accomplishing this vision is this, that we would reimagine worship. That we would actually reimagine it. Worship is not what we thought it was. Now we've done some work on worship already. We brought a bunch of people together one evening and did some really 
rich conversation about what worship means to all of us. And it was beneficial. It was interesting that at the end of it, the consensus was, so there was a group that got together, and we got all of this information, and we understood how we all worship so differently from one another. And then we brought a team back together after that that had been there and were, uh, uh, that were voices and willing to talk into it. And, and, and the, the group said, you know what? We just don't want to change all that much. We love the fact that we worship together. Let's not separate and do all of this stuff. And we saw it here this morning, didn't we? With a sense of all of us being in the same room together. But, but this is the thing we know. Worship is more than a worship service, right? That we just had our worship set, right? And that means that what we're doing right now isn't worship. Okay, okay. Say So maybe the sermon is worship too. But as soon as the benediction is announced, we're done with worship, right? Oh, oh, you know what? Maybe worship happens after the service is over. Maybe I do it Sunday afternoon during my Sabbath, right? But when Monday morning comes, worship is over, right? You know, the reality of worship, as God has described, is that it fits our, it, it, it's our whole life. What if we reimagine worship? You know, we're, we're actually wondering whether we ought to even call this the worship service anymore. Think about that. You ready to let go of that one? <laughs> what if we reimagine worship and it's something bigger than that? It's something that occurs throughout the day, every day. I want to show you something. This is, uh, I don't know if this is Google Maps or what this is, but I Googled places of worship. And there's Hillcrest, Rolling Hills, Christ Church, Indian Hills, United Methodist, Emmanuel Baptist, all those places of worship. You know what? They're wrong. The places of worship is your car, where you work, your house, that little pin drop, that little pin drop should show places of worship that go all over this city, right? Because the place of worship isn't 8801 Nall. The place of worship is you. <laughs> That's what God wants it to be. Imagine the puzzle Google Maps is going to have when they rewrite this with worship reimagined. The places of there goes the place of worship. There it goes. It's over there. It's over there. Thousands of places of worship. We want to reimagine worship in that regard. And there are a couple pieces of this. The first is this. We want to focus on cultivating wholehearted devotion to God. Wholehearted devotion to God. Someone has said, I think there's a Latin expression. Uh, one of my pastors way back said this. Worship is work. And it is, isn't it? Worship is is work. It's something that we work at. It's something that we give discipline to. But the other part of that phrase is this. Work is worship. And it is. At least that's the way God intended it to be. Worship is work and work is worship. Worship isn't intended to be anything you do that brings pleasure to God. Imagine if we reimagine worship that way and we walked out the door as worshipers. And we walked into our, our neighborhoods as worshipers. And we walked into our places of business or work or whatever, or, 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 or uh, hobbies as, as worshipers. That worship actually would intersect with us during the course of the whole week. That there would be repeated reference points throughout the week. So that Sunday morning worship service is simply just the announcements. What we do here on Sunday morning is we announce the theme. We announce the issues. 
we announce the conversation that God wants to have with us as his worshipers. And it's just the announcements. We say, well, don't miss the announcements. Right, don't miss Sunday morning. But it's just the announcements. You see, there are the announcements, and then there's what the announcements announce. Don't miss the announcements, but more than that, do what, be involved in what the announcements announce. And so on Sunday mornings, we announce what it is that God is calling us to in regards to worship, music and text and themes and all of that. And then we live it during the whole course of the week. We live it during the whole course of the week. Then the second piece of it is worship that produces discipleship, that we embrace holistic discipleship, all-encompassing discipleship. Jesus was speaking to that woman by the well, and she talked about true worshipers, and he said true worships, worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. It's spirit, it's that enthusiasm that infects our heart or regard or whatever it is, that emotional aspect of worship, but it's also something that's based on truth. It affects head and action in one's life, that that's what worship is all about. And we use the word discipleship to describe this. Worship really is intended to be discipleship. Discipleship really is intended to be worship. All-encompassing, holistic discipleship. A friend of, uh, a friend of uh, many of you, you might know Art Greco, wrote a book recently called God Kills. And I just bought it just so I could put it, on the, you know, put it out in front of me at a coffee shop, right? What are you reading? God God Kills. God Kills. Now, art does a lot with kind of those kind of crazy things, but he talks about the stuff in us that, um, that Satan wants to keep alive because it's so messy and harmful, but God actually wants to kill. And he's reflecting on his own life and a difficult time he went through. And he just says this, For a month I did virtually nothing except pray, read, and think. His life had crashed. And reflect on my questions. I don't remember exactly when, but at some point during that process, I came to the conclusion that somewhere along the line, I had discarded true spirituality in favor of its avatar. Interesting. I'd been dancing with a corpse, then wondered why in the world the only result was that I felt more exhausted at the end of every song. What I had taken as marks of spiritual royalty and therefore things worthy of pursuit, had actually turned out to be well-dressed time bandits. I had followed them with unquestioned loyalty, only to realize that like slick hustlers in a traveling carnival, they had tricked me out of precious years I would never get back. We want to talk about worship and discipleship in the context of these things go together. That it's not a time bandit that I do, it's not an obligation that's a part of my life. What is discipleship? And how does it actually fuel worship? And we want to spend some time looking at what vibrant discipleship is like that actually fuels a life of worship. Reimagine worship that happens 24-7 that impacts heart and head and life and discipleship. And there will be a fun path to go on there. The second aspect of this is to reimagine community. We know this, the power of the whole, the strength of the whole, kids, older adults, young adults, singles, people in marriages, the power of all of those people together. You know, one of the things that just breaks my heart in regards to the church in the United States is this, we segment so easily. We do. 
and we lose the strength of the others along the way. And we have a tendency to do this. We just go to those segmented places. And you know what? God has never allowed Hillcrest to go that direction. It was the DNA from the beginning, and it just keeps coming back. It's what people here applaud. The fact that we have older adults and younger adults and kids and young people together in community. And it is unique. I, I, it, it is a unique thing. And I think it's one of the precious gifts that God has given to Hillcrest. I'm going to make you community and community across all generations. And I'm going to show the world the beauty of an unsegmented expression of the gospel. We, we feel like that is true here. Nate Severson, our, we, uh, involved with youth, was just over at the student center last Sunday. And you know what Nate said over there? He said, you know, the problem with the youth center is it's unattached to the rest of the church. And he said that to our young people. Don't stay over here. The church is bigger than us over there. And you know what we want to do? We want to engage in a construction project where we reattach the youth center to everything else. I don't mean physically. But let's reattach the youth center. And let's reattach the children's ministry. And let's reattach Sage. And let's reattach young adults. And let's reattach singles. And let's reattach uh, young marrieds. Let's reattach empty nesters. You see what I'm saying? Is that God wants all of that to be able to take place. And the strength and the power of not being described, defined as a narrowly bracketed group and be able to say, that's what God has for Hillcrest and that's what we're fighting for. What does it look like? Two pieces of it. One is to cultivate a culture of healthy and committed relationships all across the spectrum, deeply committed to one another. We talked about this some last week, didn't we, in regards to the whole process of discernment, that we're actually going to navigate that together, and we're going to figure out what it means for us to learn something that God wants to say to us through our children, something that God wants to say to us through our singles, something that God wants to say to us through our older adults. And that we are passionate for that because we're living with regard for each other along the way. To cultivate health and committed relationships. Do you know what we were going to do this thing tonight? You know what our plan was? We're going to get all the adults together and we're going to do the yes and among the adults. And you know, there's Nate sitting there. You know, Nate's all gung-ho for junior high and high school. And he says, well, what are the young adults going to do? Nate's always asking that question. How are our young adults going to hear this? I mean, it gets obnoxious sometimes. Nate's not here. He's actually at a conference. He's coming back at noon. So he doesn't hear me saying this. But I, I actually do love it that he's asked that question. But you know what we almost missed until a week and a half ago? We almost missed what God would want to say to us through our elementary kids. So we're actually going to do a section of our elementary kids going together and talking about the and, the brick that they think God might want to add to it. And so when we get to the end of the night, it's going to be all of the adults and young people and children talking about where is God leading us together as a community. Second aspect of this is to create pathways for community so that others can join us. So that others can join us. 
to be this hospitable presence. I grew up with this. Uh, my, my parents, you, you, uh, they would say to anybody, you need the car. You need a place to stay. Come on, stay with us. When I was a teenager, my, we, we, uh, my mom and dad put a pool in our backyard. Now, that's a big deal in northern Wisconsin where the ice is on there six months out of the year. But, you know, we would come home from some event and invariably, not invariably, but it wouldn't surprise us if there was actually somebody in the backyard swimming in the pool. And we would walk in the door and there they were. And mom was, oh, how are you? And what can I get for you? And it it was just kind of this sense of we're we're just a community. uh, We're just a family. And we're a family for everyone. And um, this is the heartbeat of our church. I, I know it. We talk about a need and whoosh, you all sweep in. We all, we all want to sweep in and care about it. But you know, there's something we've noticed that, that, we want to, uh, that we want to pay particular attention to. You know, once in a while, we will have people that will tell us something that we really need to hear. And somebody said this recently, Hillcrest is a wonderful family, but it's really hard to break in. It's hard to break in. And so while Hillcrest might in some ways kind of reach out to you, if you're going to get involved at Hillcrest, you're going to have to reach the furthest. Uh, we, don't want, we don't want that anymore. We want to be a family where we are reaching as far as we can to help people to be able to get into this place. And one of the pieces of it that we hope will help us in that is what you come up with and how you help and how we do it together, but uh, to create pathways um, that offer others that this is a welcoming and inviting place that they get to see our hearts. Now, there are bright spots of this already. You know, Monday night, these extraordinary dinners and Alpha, and then Alpha has led to Alpha and Beta, and Alpha and Beta and our young people doing Alpha together in the building, and now small groups that are part of it there are just these bright spots where it's like, wow, I can come in, I can sit down, I can have dinner, I can have a conversation about life, and then I can talk about stuff that matters. We want to create more of those kinds of pathways along the way. And then the third aspect of this is to reimagine our purpose. This is the out piece of it. All along, the commitment of Hillcrest has been made to make an impact for the kingdom of God. You know, there's a sense that people have is that the church has a mission The reality is this, God's mission has a church. That's really what it is fundamentally. It's not that the church has a mission or a mission program or a mission budget. The reality is is that God's mission has a church. And so we all are involved in what we were reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This call from all of us to all of us. Now, Thomas Friedman's written some books. One of them is The World is Flat, and we're realizing the world is all over the place. It is so accessible, so easy. In fact, people who are missiologists are talking about missiology as we are now in the age of the fourth era of modern missions. You know what? We thought about missions in era two and era three, and we devised ways to do missions in era two and era three. We are now in the fourth wave. And we have to figure out what does it mean for us to do missions in the world that we're in right now. To join in God's redemptive purposes, and we're using the word glocally, global 
and local. It's a phrase that's been used out there. We want to understand what it means for us to be locally involved, locally and globally. Right down the hall from here, there is a woman telling her story right now, and we're videotaping it so you're not missing anything. Uh, and, and you heard about Tali and her husband, and they just dedicated uh, Eleonora to the Lord. Well, Tali's telling her story just down the hall of coming to faith in Christ in, 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 in Iran. And uh, she's come over here and has met other Persians, and we actually had the privilege over our Christmas series of watching a couple of uh, a husband and wife discover the beauty of God's grace expressed in Jesus Christ, and we got to baptize them in one of our services. Jamie uh, Gibson, whom some of you know, and we get to support out of our missions budget, he and his wife were involved in Tajikistan for four years. Health problems caused them to have to leave and go to Istanbul, and they were there for four years. They said extraordinary things are happening in the world, particularly among Muslims, particularly among Persian Muslims. It's just extraordinary. And Jamie and his wife are going to come in a couple weeks and share more of their story. But you know where they're going next? They're going to L.A. There are more Persians in L.A. Basin than there are in all of Afghanistan. We know this. We know when Emad came from Egypt and he fell in love with Jesus here through Alpha and through your love for him. And now he's back in Egypt letting people know what Jesus is like. I mean, these are the stories that we have. And, and there are people all around us. Bakash is coming from Nepal in a week or two. And Bakash is going to talk not only about what's going on in Nepal, but about all the Nepalese and Bhutanese people that are living right in Kansas City, Kansas, that we get to be involved in. Do you see? It's happening everywhere right now. In fact, that's what they're saying about missions. It's from everywhere to everywhere. And what does it mean for us to be a church that's committed to the mission of the church? the mission of God, to actually do that in the most strategic ways. Secondly, to identify our unique gifts and abilities. We've used the word vocation around here. It simply means the, our calling, our life calling. What does it mean for us to involve in out? Now, there's a word that makes everybody nervous. It's the word evangelism. In fact, I was telling, talking to a guy who actually has written some books on evangelism, and he said, you know what, as soon as you put evangelism on the title page, it doesn't sell. Uh, and so they're trying to kind of cleverly cast the titles of books, but they're about that word that makes us awkward. Not all of you. You know, we talk about we want you to get out of your comfort zone, and there are some of you that like adrenaline rush, and you're all about getting out of your comfort zone, right? But you're maybe 20% of us, all right? And then there are the others that say, you know what, I just can't go there. You know what we want for you? We want you to get back in your comfort zone. Yeah, that place where you live and interact and have relationships where you can simply display and share the character of a Christ-transformed life right there in your comfort zone. It might be your neighborhood group. It might be your career. It might be your skill set. We want to get people back in those places, to discover those unique gifts and abilities and actually be in those places. Did you know that before Hillcrest began, Hillcrest, Hillcrest was planted by um, First Covenant Church, Kansas City. Do you know how they started? I heard this just recently. All those Swedes had horses. Not all of them, but some of them had horses. And you know what? They would get on their horse and they would... They would 
travel around Westport and knock on doors and invite people to church. Isn't that cool? That's what the Swedes did in Westport with their horses. So let's all get horses. No. They, you know why they had those horses? Because those horses were their vocations. They used those horses for their work during the course of the week. Whatever they used in their work during the course of the week, they actually used that to invite people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Find your horse and get on it. And that's what we want to be involved in as well too. To be families on mission, young and old, women and men. And I say that order and purpose because that's another unique, wondrous trait of this church. To embrace men and women involved in mission together. Where people are called to places not because of their gender but because of their giftedness along the way. Imagine us saying yes. Imagine 10 years from now seeing the character of Hillcrest Covenant's calling in a world that we pray for often as we say, Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be held holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine worship that looks like that. Imagine community that looks like that. Imagine purpose that looks like that. Do you want to go on an adventure? Yes. Let's try that one again. <laughs> Do you want to go on an adventure? Yes. Do you want to go on an adventure like that? Do you want to watch God change you on that adventure? Do you want to see God change the world as well? Would you pray with me? Good. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you are. And we pray, Lord, now that you would give us the capacity to say yes to what it is you have for us and the insight as we collaborate together to figure out the ands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.